Special thanks to our promotional partners at the American Philatelic Society. The APS is the largest stamp collecting organization in the world, supporting collectors of any level worldwide. For more information about membership and APS services, visit stamps.org. I'm Charles Epting from Metro Harmer in New York City. And I'm Michael Cortese of Noble Spirit in Pittsfield, New Hampshire. And this is Conversations with Philatelists. Now, Michael. Yes. I'm an avid reader of Richard Ferjola's message board. Yes, we've talked and about it a av- number of times before. We have. And by avid, I mean I refresh it about a dozen times a day. Yeah. A dozen yeah. times an hour, you mm-hmm. could say. Um, and and every Sunday. Yep. Why, why don't you uh why don't you take it from there? Yeah, so, so uh I I didn't used to know about it. And then you told me about the Frigola board, so I I read it not just as much as you do, but <laughs> But um, yeah, avid reader. Every Sunday, we uh, we see the same notification there. Rob Fox has a new Postal History Sunday. So, so his blog is part because yes. um, he he's he's a farmer as well. Yes, a big chunk of his life is farming, and then mm-hmm. every Sunday he finds the time to put together an incredibly detailed and well researched. Mm-hmm. It's an article more than a blog post. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of those things that like it deserves better than a blog. I feel in a certain mm-hmm. way, um, and it's always interesting, and it's always something I look forward to on the weekends. Yeah. And uh, I'm I'm really excited to uh, to have Rob on with us now to talk about um, uh, to talk about not just that, but he's collecting in general and. Hopefully, yeah. even life outside of philately, because I'm just as interested to hear about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, with, without further ado, let's let's bring Rob on. No person better to talk about um, what he does best, other than himself. Excellent. Let's bring him in. All right. Great. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Rob. How's it going? It's going. How are you doing? Uh, we're surviving the farm. That's what we're doing right now. <laughs> so before we get into the the postal history, maybe you can just talk a little bit. It's um it's it's October fifteenth, so we're coming into the middle of fall. What are things like on the farm this time of year? What are you uh, currently in the in the middle of? <laughs> uh, you know, it depends on the year, but most years we're still we still have a lot to bring in, a lot of harvest uh, because we're not growing corn and soybeans here. We're we're growing vegetables. Hmm. And uh, you typically have all the fall crops. So all the squash, we're still growing greens. Uh, so if you want to grow lettuces or spinaches, this is a good time of year for it. But the real thing that's eating up my time and making me real tired right now are the poultry. Uh, we, we have lots of birds. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year's not as bad as others, but some years we've had as many as 250 broiler chickens and two flocks and... Well, 70 to 80 turkeys and then two laying hen flocks of about 100 or so each. Wow. Yeah. So you have to go out. They're animals. You have to give them food. You have to give mm-hmm. them water. You've got to protect them. you got to clean eggs. you got to wash eggs. Yeah. Uh, so they kind of they kind of beat on us this time of year. What uh, how what the um, sorry, what's the acreage? You're not going to believe this. This is a 15 acre farm. Wow. Really? So it's not very big, especially yeah. according to Iowa standards, mm-hmm. uh, typically. And, and so, hence the name. Uh, you notice my last name's Fox, F-A-U-X, which would mm-hmm. be faux in French, meaning fake. Mm-hmm. So, of course, our farm name is the Genuine Faux Farm or the Genuine Fox Farm, whichever way you want to do it. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, everybody around us looks at us and says, well, that's, that can't be a real farm. It's too small. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we've... We've had years where we've produced as much as 12 and a half tons of food in one wow. season. 
So it Incredible. just it just shows you you don't have to have lots of acreage to get into a lot of trouble real fast. <laughs> right, right. So how did you get started in in philately? What's your uh, what's your um, uh, backstory? What what course brought you to um uh, to to this great hobby? You know, I bet you mine isn't terribly different than a lot of people's in in my generation in that. You know, we were still getting a lot of, you know, mail was the way you communicated with things. You didn't have email and, and whatever. Boy, I sound old all of a sudden. Uh, but the point is, is you you got mail. And I, I recall being uh, as young as three years old. And my mother would get mail and she'd look at it and say, oh, what a pretty stamp. Okay, that's nice. And then she would tear it off and hand it to me. And then I would walk right on over to my little pile of papers and things and glue. And I would immediately paste that, that chunk into my little notebook, you know, with the regular white paste and put it right there and say, Hey, what a neat stamp. And then I would proceed to draw around them and being three, that didn't mean I was always successful in being around them. Um, so that's, that's my first memory of, of actually starting to collect is that, I was fed the pretty pieces off the corners of the envelopes that my mother received in the mail. Um, and of course there was no real direction. She wasn't a collector and no one in my family was a collector. Uh, so it was just here they are, do what you will with them. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know what, that's, that's kind of, that's fine because now you can explore just yourself that nobody's telling you how to do things. Um, and then of course, later on, you know, I, I found out a little bit more about organized stamp collecting slowly, but surely mostly on my own, um, got my first stamp album probably with my own money when I was about 12 or so and proceeded to be overwhelmed by everything that I could possibly get. Mm -hmm. Um, and most of the stamps I got then were from the, there was still a Woolworths in the town I grew up in a Woolworths store. And they'd have those little packets of stamps and you could go get them for a buck or something like that and get one of those bags and they'd have all the three cent prexies in there. I mean, like hundreds of those mm -hmm. and a few others just to make somebody like me happy. Oh, look, something different, you know. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how I got started in the whole thing was kind of the typical I was exposed to it by an adult who uh, maybe didn't necessarily know anything about it, but still they were part of our culture. They're part of what we saw all the time. Um, and it really wasn't until I met my lovely bride, it turned out her grandfather was an accumulator. Okay. Uh, Part-time dealer, accumulator, wasn't really a collector per se. And that I, he didn't, you, you've maybe met people like this. He did, he enjoyed accumulating them and sorting them out and having the boxes and the, the binders and in fact, you can see, still see some remnants of that behind me. Hmm. Um, but he didn't really do anything more beyond that other than, look, I have 100 copies of this and I've got this bag of prexies sitting over here that aren't sorted. And uh, But at least now I finally had a connection. And that was, that was an eye-opener to me because, you know, up to that point, uh, I, I don't know how much either of you did when you were very young, but maybe you saw the catalog or maybe you got an old album. And what were some of the things you noticed right up front for us, for example, you'd see this big picture of Andrew Jackson 
mm-hmm. staring at you on the two cent stamp or you'd see the 1847 issue or if you were looking at italian states you'd see those roman papal key stamps you'd see the picture but you never saw the stamp right yeah so suddenly here's this man who's got these boxes of things and he knows i like to collect stamps and at that point it was a pretty a shoebox collection is probably a nice way to put it yeah um but i like them so he shoved this shoebox at me and said, you can take anything you want out of here. And I opened up the box. And first of all, I was pretty impressed because they all look real old to me. I'm mean, like, wow, look how old these stamps are. And then I started looking and there was like a Colombian sitting there staring me in the face. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a two cent Colombian, but it was, heaven's sakes, a Colombian. I've never seen one of these. And in, 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 I found a blackjack. Mm-hmm. And I had to ask him five times, are you sure <laughs> you're going to let me take anything I want out of here? Because I'll take the whole darn box, you know, uh, kind of a thing. But, uh, you know, that was my first exposure to the classics face to face. And I have to admit now that I know more, they were mostly damaged. Mm. There, there was a reason that they were in the shoebox <laughs> and they weren't sorted, you know, that. Yeah, there's a chunk missing out of Andrew Jackson and there was, you know, whatever. But I was now exposed to what these things look like, what the artistry was uh, and and just what existed, because before it was a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a lot of people can maybe relate to that when you're a kid, you aspire to something. Maybe someday I'll see one of these or maybe someday I might get really lucky and own one of these. Um that's kind of what that was like was opening the box and seeing fairy tales come to life. I've mentioned a couple of times on here before when I bought a used C18, the uh, 50 cent baby Zep, I'd looked at the picture for so long that to see one and hold one in person. Now I look back, yeah, it was horribly off centered and <laughs> uh, you know, I, I probably overpaid it, you know, $12 and 50 cents, but you no, know, it, it is uh, a completely different feeling when um yeah you see these these uh iconic stamps in a catalog for so long but but Mm. um yeah they always hit you differently when when they're actually in front of you and actually perforated and actually uh tangible so that's fantastic you stuck with it the entire time that i think the introduction is something we hear a lot but we don't talk to too many people who kind of stuck with it from age three on and then kind of became more and more involved as time went on and then it sounds like someone was able to kind of help guide you into more organized philately so at what point did it start evolving into you saying i want to collect this or i want to collect that specifically yeah i and you're right i am kind of an an exception in that i i was always somewhat involved yeah. I mean, you know it, it's like everything in in life you have a few weeks where it's just it's the thing you're really loving every moment and mm-hmm. then something else you do a little bit more but it's yeah. not like i ever forsook it for i think the standard story i hear often is well then i became a teenager and i saw girls yeah you know for the guys to say or maybe the opposite for the women or, or mm-hmm. whatever but that, that's the typical story but that that's not what happened for me um but I will admit that that once I once I met my wife's grandfather, once I met Tammy's grandfather, that was the point where I realized how much bigger the hobby could be. 
Hmm. You know, that, that, uh, there were actually lots and lots and lots of copies of some of these stamps out there. Uh, it's just, they weren't always the most desirable copies, but there were lots of them. I mean, if you want a blackjack, you can get a blackjack. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want Colombians, you can get them. Uh, you just, just have to find the opportunities and you have to, of course, sometimes have the money or be in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. In this case, I just happened to marry the right person, <laughs> you know, and kind of lucky that way. So what got me started though, is, is uh, uh, when he died, he, he made sure that I received the the stamp hoard, if you want to call it, because nobody else in the family want, in fact, the family breathed a sigh of relief, you know, when, when I became involved in the family. So I thank goodness somebody will take this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and, and maybe figure out what to do with it. Um, and so when we did get the material, we were at a time in our life where we were moving a lot. So we got it all, but now we ended up moving all these boxes with us multiple times. Hmm. And then as we moved, I would try to go through something once in a while. And that's when I found uh, the 1861 series in particular. I just, I was captivated by the the designs and the colors. Um, and there just happened to be a few covers in this whole mess. It was almost all stamps, but there's just this little box with a few covers. And there were a couple of uh, three cent 1861 covers and a few other odd things. And they were interesting at that moment, but not, you know, I didn't know anything. So it's like, well, neat, set those aside. Uh, but I got captivated by the design about that point when we actually received this material. Before that, I was more of an explorer. You know, what can I afford? What do I have time to do? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, work with it for a while, learn something about it and move on. Uh, but it wasn't until that point that I specialized or started to specialize. Mm-hmm. So what you collect now, is it mostly postal history or bringing us kind of to the topic of the of the blog that you've got so is it entirely postal history you collect stamps as well still or yeah i'm actually you know the fun thing about a hobby is you can make it grow any way you want it to grow and sometimes that means you move uh Mm -hmm. from one thing to another so at this point i'm i'm pretty much moving away from the stamps Mm mm-hmm uh, and, and have been slowly but surely trying to move those out. I was just finding I wasn't looking at them anymore. Yeah. Um, and if I'm not looking at them anymore, then they're just taking up space and somebody else will probably appreciate them far more than I do right now. So I'm starting to move those and I'm pretty much just postal history because that's that's caught my imagination and I'm learning I'm learning so much from them. And I think that's, that's part of what I'm enjoying the most is learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's tons to learn. There's tons to see. And I'm only scratching the surface right now. When it comes time to, to write a blog post, how do you pick the subject? Is it, um, uh, you know, is it difficult for you to um, figure out what, what cover or covers to write about, or is it, uh, does it come naturally? What's your uh, sort of process for coming up with one of these each and every week? <laughs> uh, you know what? That's a question I ask myself. <laughs> um, and you probably have 
appreciation for that with with your conversations too because it's like okay we've we've done this consistently now for so long now what we what are we going to do next um so i've been asking myself that question a little bit more frequently than i did early on because early on it was maybe i should give you the motivation for postal history sun, sunday mm-hmm. first sure. um this is actually a pandemic baby, if you want to put it that way. As as were Michael and I. <laughs> yes. <laughs> doing this. Yes. Uh, and it actually started uh, with our farm blog. Uh, our farm blog has been going since about 2009. The farm started in 2004. And as you can guess, it was largely initially just for promoting the farm and keeping people informed of what was going on. You know, our customers needed to know what was up. Uh, but over time, it started doing other things. It might get a little philosophical sometime. It might be a little teaching sometimes. And because I collected, I would occasionally write a short thing on postal history, you know. But once the pandemic came, uh, I was being told by a lot of people I had some skill at writing, which was, it's always nice when somebody says you do okay at something. Mm-hmm. Um and here we are in the pandemic and we're isolated from each other more than we have been. People are struggling and it's like, well, what, what can I do to maybe help people? And maybe in turn, it'll help me, but what can I do to help people at this point in time? So I actually started, I challenged myself to write a blog on the farm blog every single day, hmm. starting in, in April of 2020. I just started writing a blog every single day. And, uh, in Facebook, there's a postal history group that I started posting a cover every single day. Just saying, hey, everybody, hope you're all doing well. Here's something interesting, a little bit about it. I'm done. And my goal was to do that for 60 days. And I got to August and I had written a blog every single day and I'd been posting postal history every single day on this thing as I got close to August. And somebody asked me, so, why are you doing this? <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, I'm going to write a blog about that. I'm doing this because I want to share something I enjoy with other people. And so the first Postal History Sunday came out. It wasn't, it was just going to be a one-timer. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. I wrote a sharing what we enjoy kind of thing and talking about, hey, maybe one of the things that will help us all get out of this is if we go ahead and talk in a way that's, that we're not ashamed about something we like, you know, what's the standard, what, what's a standard flatulist look like to the world? It's, it's the, you know, the recluse that's got this home full of boxes, <laughs> um, you know, doesn't, can't interact with other people, blah, blah, blah. You know, the long list laundry list of what a standard stamp nerd would be. Right. And so people, when they do like things like flatly or postal history, they tend to be, apologize about it. Hmm. why should we apologize? We enjoy it, right? So I just said, all right, here's something I enjoy. And the, an amazing thing happened. I got notes from a couple dozen people who are not postal historians. Mm-hmm. They said, that was cool. Can you do that again? <laughs> and I'm like, all right, um, sure, why not? So I, I chose a Sunday a couple weeks later and wrote about another postal history thing. And that got good response. I'm, and I'm not saying I got a landslide, like hundreds of people were yelling my name saying, Rob, do that again. It was, you know, you get a nice comment here and there. Mm-hmm. Gee, that was kind of refreshing. 
kind of a thing. So I thought, all right, new challenge, because I'm kind of wearing out on the daily blog thing. Let's just do a Postal History Sunday thing every week, and we'll see if we can get to the end of the year, get to the end of 2020. And at that time, now I'm actually going to answer your real question. (laughs) (laughs) At that time, it was easy because I just kind of like, hey, nobody's expecting anything. This is a neat cover I'm looking at right now or Mm -hmm. a a little theme I'm studying. I'll just write about that. So are these all items that that you have that you've bought or are these things? Okay. Yeah, these are all in my collection. Okay. Um, And and. Let's be perfectly honest. I my motivation to study something comes from seeing it in person. Right, right. Uh, and and some people are not like that. But in my case, it's like here it is. I want to learn about this thing, whether it stays with me or not is, is aside from the point. But right now, I want to mm-hmm. learn about it. Uh, so yeah, I've got the items. The question is, how do you pick it? And early on, it was like I was just excited about. Hey, I could write off this neat thing. I was really excited about. Yeah. And then, as you know, you start people start saying, I, I so enjoy counting on seeing this Postal History Sunday every week. Mm-hmm. Then you start building up a little pressure on yourself. It's like, well, right. okay, now I got to, I'm trying to do this fine balance between people who aren't postal historians mm-hmm. and folks who are postal historians that are enjoying reading them, but they also don't want me to do the song and dance of everything's introductory every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here's here's your primer for postal history yet again. Uh, we need to keep it interesting. So I'm walking a fine line between reaching people who do not collect and don't have the background, feeding something that's really interesting to people who do collect mm-hmm. without overwhelming the folks who are new to it. Yeah. And then not just relying on the things that I'm most familiar with. I mean, I love the 24 cent 1861 stamp and its postal history. That's, that's what my exhibit is on. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for me to write on those because I've been studying them longest. Right. Uh, but if that's all I wrote on, I think a lot of people would start to get tired of it. So I mix in modern, I mix in foreign. I, I, and then when I'm getting tired, I always fall back on a 24 cent item. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I don't know what to write on. Let's do one of these because it's been a few weeks. Yeah. And that seems to work, uh, at least so far. It keeps me interested, um, keeps me moving. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting. The, the, I mean, the most recent item that you wrote about it was the um, the Papal States cover, I believe. Yeah. I, so, well, let me, let me think about that. Um, oh, yeah. The last thing I wrote about actually had a mix of things. And that's that's okay. the other thing I do. Uh, when I'm starting to feel a little bit the pressure. Yeah. Uh, Because if you write something like uh, an item, there was an item that got mailed to uh, Great Britain in the 1860s, and it didn't find the person there, and it came back to the United States to find them here. And that was a great story. Yeah. But there was a lot of researching that went into figuring out who is this person, how did it get from here to there. It It was harder work. And so whenever I have something that's harder work, it's nice to either do a, here are four somewhat related things that I can give you a higher level thing on, Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, four things that have a theme and and there's not as much pressure to get into the weeds on those. Uh, So that was my last one was, was actually, I had four or five different things in there, just kind of like, well, 
what what is it that attracts my attention i think is what that mm-hmm. one was um but learning taxes was the the one prior to that right. that might be what you're thinking yeah probably and uh that one took me a little more effort because this is not an area that i have collected extensively mm-hmm. i have maybe a dozen items total in my collection that have some connection to it mm-hmm. uh, and i want to be want to be accurate yeah you know, so that's that's important. I don't want to put stuff on the internet that leads people down the wrong path and they get the wrong ideas. Uh, but then there's another challenge to it because if the the third in taxes, I mean, that's centuries mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of history. Yeah. And the last thing I want to do is try and tell everybody the whole history of third in taxes in a blog because yeah. that's out there. People see that. So suddenly you have to try and write the whole history in about four sentences mm-hmm. and be accurate keep it interesting and maybe even provide an interesting factoid that the people who are aware of it might go, Oh, that that's a little different. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of, I think that's the balance I work on. I think what I did with that one, if I recall, is I put in a musical interlude with the post horn, <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, why not? You know, let's, let's yeah. talk about music. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, I, I was right about that. The people who are not postal historians are like, that was really cool. Yeah. You know, the, po- the post-arm was great. Um, mm-hmm. The other stuff, I was a little lost, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, and it can be so difficult. You know, you talk about the accuracy because there's people who, when you're talking about things that you aren't necessarily your own specialty, there's people who it is their specialty. So you have to make sure that you're, yeah, getting absolutely everything right because it, you, you don't want to lead the people down the wrong path or you know, have people coming back to you saying, actually, this is this, this is this, you know, it, it takes a lot of double checking your, your work. But that was, um, no, that was an interesting story. So yeah. f- for items like the, the cover to Great Britain that came back to the US and found the person in the US, how do you go about researching that kind of item? You know, some of these items that get in in, in depth, let me be perfectly honest with you here. Mm-hmm. I don't start the research just for a postal history Sunday. Sometimes the, the ones that are in more depth, I've probably visited them more than once already. Right. Right. Um, because there's not much chance in one week. Right. I'm going to do all that work because I do mm-hmm. have, I have the farm Yeah. and I do have a job off the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not much chance. I'm going to write something that's that quality and 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 manage to maintain my integrity and that accuracy we're talking about right right um, so for example the the item i'm talking about uh that that went there and came back and it actually has a depreciated currency marking on it coming mm-hmm. back um the initial research began maybe six or seven years ago wow. uh, on that when when i first got it because i wanted it to go into the exhibit and accurately portray what that was Mm -hmm. Uh, so i have the exhibit there for for a basis and then i can go from there but you know for a postal historian a lot of the stuff starts with the work of a number of people who've gone before me Uh, i can't do this if uh richard winter if dick winter had not done all his work on transatlantic mails Mm -hmm. if if he and uh, walter hubbard hadn't put together some of that material then I don't know that you'd be talking to me today. Right. right. Um, you know, we've got Starnes's book on rates. We've got George Hargist and his 
transatlantic mail communications and, and, you know, there's a number of books and uh, Richard Frizzola's board, for example, all mm-hmm. those things have played a huge role of getting me started. And then once you go from there, uh, Something some folks don't know about me is I'm actually an, a real oddball in that I have a PhD okay. in computer science and adult education, okay. which is why I'm a farmer. Mm-hmm. Makes perfect <laughs> sense, right? And mm-hmm. uh, But when you go through the process of getting an advanced degree, you learn how to do research, you learn right. how to use libraries, you learn, you know, you learn how to manipulate keywords when you're doing searches. So... Mm-hmm. We are now blessed with all kinds of material available on the internet for free. Right. And the training I got in, in using keywords and manipulating keywords so you can find what you're looking for and, and using one resource to trail on to another resource, mm-hmm. uh, that's actually the skill I'm using the most right now when I'm doing research. Which means I sometimes find obscure books on Google Books that that are from the 1800s that actually mm-hmm. reference directly the thing I'm looking at. It's like, Oh, that's, yeah. that's kind of nice. And then you can go from there. Yeah. The, the amount of research that's now readily available specifically because of the internet, that's allowing this other research to be done and documented and then posted on the internet is just going to make, um, philately and researching these items in the future so much easier. It's, it's going to make everything so much you know, less of a, you know, like a, I don't want to use the word, like after school homework, it, it makes it, you know, easier and more um, accessible to people who, you know, want to learn this stuff, but don't necessarily have the time to invest into it. Or this research is making people interested in items like these. Maybe more people will become interested in it because this research is more readily available to people. Oh, I didn't know about that before. I can see that clearly on the internet now. It's actually pretty cool. I'm going to start reading more into this and brings more people into the hobby and stuff like that. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, In fact, that's probably why, I mean, look, I'm in Iowa, folks. (laughs) (laughs) How many stamp shows are in Iowa? Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's a few small bourses and that's about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to go to Chicago, St. Louis, or somewhere bigger to to go to anything. But the odds that I'll find somebody who's face-to-face is interested in postal history as I am in this state is pretty low. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm in the country to boot, so I'm not around a lot of people, and I'm not around a lot of resources. So the Internet right. makes, some, makes it possible for someone like me to participate more readily. Right. And I, I appreciate that. But it also makes the research harder. Okay. Uh, in in a different way, and it's harder because the validity of your sources right. are often in question. Yeah, and and you know, Michael, that is exactly why I am always really concerned about my own blogs mm-hmm. because I don't want to be part of the noise of misinformation. I, I want right. it want it to be accurate, and I have been caught a couple times with some inaccuracies, and I have. Okay. Tried to repair those, of course, uh, but not often, which is, mm-hmm. it either means people really aren't reading me carefully <laughs> <laughs> or 
or I'm doing an okay job. I, you know, of, of keeping when it's not my specialty, staying out of the details that could mm -hmm. get me into trouble, but still keeping it interesting. Uh, that's sometimes what I rely on is just like, let's keep it interesting and let's stick to the details that you can verify and not try to pretend you're a specialist. Hmm. Uh, you know, so there was one I wrote about from World War II, uh, and that is not my area. And I know there are people who are fantastic about mm -hmm. the history and about the postal history of that. And I was very cautious. Uh, I kept it probably very much to the specific item instead of trying to make some large grand statements about, and all the mail went this way. And I, I, I tried to avoid that. Mm -hmm. A lot of these posts are exceptionally well-researched for a blog. I, I, a lot of blogs I read are, are, uh, you know, quick little hits and, and, um, th these are, these are legitimate research articles. Do you see any of them making the jump to print? Do you see any of them, um, you know, finding new life in, in the Chronicle or one of the state postal history society journals? Um, do, do you ever see these, um, you know, sort of being repurposed, uh, in a, in a different format? Uh, the answer to that question is yes, um, and maybe. <laughs> I rarely answer straight yes or no because there's there's always conditions. Right. Uh, in fact, uh, one of these actually did go into the Chronicle some time ago. The, the Wreck of the North American actually made it in there once, and that's the only article I've got published in the Chronicle, uh, which is great. I, mm -hmm. I, I'm pleased and honored to be able to do that, and... Uh, a couple of other things have gone a couple of other places in the past, but that was actually before I started doing Postal History Sunday. I wrote a couple of items right. for other folks. And, you know, you can guess Postal History Sunday is taking up my writing time on this. Mm -hmm. to, to be able to do something, I guess I set the bar pretty high for myself, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I wrote them and I liked it myself and I got good responses and then the pressure to do a good job you know, uh, I don't want to give it up right now. I'm enjoying yeah. doing that. So if you want to take these things and put them into print, uh, clearly some of the lighthearted conversational style doesn't quite translate to print mm -hmm. uh, where it works beautifully on a blog. Right. So now you have to take it and you have to kind of realize your audience is not feeling like they're in your living room with you while you're looking at something and, mm -hmm. You've got your fluffy slippers on and, and whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. uh, although I wonder sometimes if maybe we need to have that in our print every once in a while, just kind of a, hey, you're, you're sitting somewhere with this magazine in your hand because you're a philatelist or a postal historian and it's something you like. Mm -hmm. Let's just kind of, let's have a nice chat about how cool these things are that we collect. Um, but that's not, that's not, the uh, atmosphere I think most publications want to put out. So I, I realize I have to work with them to change them. Mm -hmm. So in answer to your question, I have kind of done that in that I've written for them in the past and I'm certainly open to translating things. So if, if somebody's like, Hey, that's perfect for such and such. And they contacted me, I'd be willing to try and, and work it out. Uh, but again, the time that I would have right. to spend, yeah. Uh, is an issue. Uh, but I'm very open to it because you've probably guessed my motivation behind all this is 
is reaching out. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to be, I, I'm the, I'm the person in Iowa who wanted to do this stuff, but often felt isolated from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm kind of odd in that I must be very stubborn. You know, once I've decided I, I like something, then I won't, I don't want to give it up. Mm-hmm. And so I find ways to work around challenges. And one of those challenges is the fact that I'm both an introvert, which isn't necessarily a good thing when you want to interact with people. Mm. And I'm mildly isolated from the rest of the hobby. So uh, I realize there are other folks probably out there who feel like they don't necessarily have, you know, they're on the outside looking in. Yeah. And so I'm the guy kind of standing there looking out at them saying, hey, you're welcome. Come on. Let, let's let's look at this stuff. It's cool. Mm-hmm. And then you can make fun of me later if you want to, but it's still cool. <laughs> no, well, that bringing together of people and, and reaching out to others is is something that I, I feel a lot more people are are kind of trending towards is just reaching out to those who were unable to connect with before because they were so isolated in this pandemic has kind of brought more people together, created more online research, created more content for people to read and and enjoy and yeah it i feel like it's really helped and this postal history sunday being one of the prime examples of that i appreciate that 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 makes me feel good to hear that because it's i think we're all still looking at the pandemic and kind of thinking well i mean i know we all would like it to end yeah you know for all the reasons but look at the good stuff that is coming out of it Hmm. there's there's an awful lot of good stuff your conversations i've enjoyed several of those um would you let's be honest would you be doing conversations if it weren't for the pandemic or would it maybe have been quite as consistent no no i i don't i i I don't think you ever would have reached out to me michael no i wouldn't have i i had too much on my plate at the time i was traveling way too much and as soon as the pandemic happened and we Charles and I stopped traveling. That's when we kind of connected and, um, you know, it was the lack of travel. It was the lack of being out on the road and, and our work never stopped. Our work, we never had less work to do, but it was just less traveling. We were more stagnant in one place. And that allowed and I think to going a bit stir crazy as well. Yeah, uh, just exactly. looking to looking to talk to people, you know, yeah. you get your social philatelic fix at shows or, you know, picking up a consignment or something. But when it was just us alone in our respective offices. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I think that was, that was definitely the the main factor behind all of this. Yeah. 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 And, and so what's, what's weird for me to be saying right now is, is welcome to my world. Yeah. (laughs) You know, now you understand some of the motivations that some folks have, whether mm-hmm. they're isolated geographically, uh, whether their personality is is maybe a little less gregarious than others, mm-hmm. uh, whether they don't have opportunities to travel to shows as frequently, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's this is this is why I I love this part of what the pandemic's brought to us, mm-hmm. in that it has encouraged us in our busy lives to kind of look around a little bit and say. I actually value some of those connections with people who have certain interests or values 
I, I value this more than maybe yeah. I used to. Yeah. And so we're working harder to make it happen than we did before. It just kind of happened to us before, right? You just mm-hmm. kind of went somewhere. Oh, hey, Joe, how you doing? And how the kids, blah, blah, blah. And now it's, it's an honest to goodness. You call this person up and say, hey, how are you doing? And when yeah. you ask that question, the words mean more. Mm-hmm. Not a throwaway now. Yeah. It's uh, I haven't really been in, I haven't felt in touch with others. Yeah. And now I, I understand how much I really care about that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So postal history, sundry conversations with philatelists. There's, there's a few other things that have been popping up in philately and postal history that I am so pleased to see. Um, because, you know, I, I'm, I've been getting tired of hearing people talking about our hobbies dying. Mm. Um, and they die only if you look inward. Yeah. Yeah. If that's all you're doing is looking inward. I I think that this kind of exploding of, of people online just really opened people's eyes up to how many people are participating in the hobby. I think it was long overdue and I think it was the natural direction things were headed, but we, there, there had to be a, a, you know, a, a, spark and impetus for mm-hmm. people to realize how quickly we needed to evolve and change and get yeah. more online. Yeah. The conversation's yeah. just I, completely changed. It's gone from, you know, it, it's fading to what can we do to keep the flame burning? Yeah. Well, I mean, think about my, the story I told you at the beginning, how was I exposed initially to flattery? Mm-hmm. It was on the mail. Yeah. Every day. And I'd get handed something Maybe every other day. I don't know how often it was. I'm, I was mm-hmm. three. I just remember the basic idea that I received these. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's not going to happen anymore. Right. Uh, so you want this, ha- this hobby in particular to survive, then there has to be other ways to put yourself in front of people. Mm-hmm. Having open, honest conversations with three people interested in some of the same area or where their occupations have something to do with that. That's one way to do it. It's like, look, we're real human beings. We, we have all kinds of things going on in our lives. And it just so happens that all three of us think there's some cool things out there having to do with stamps and postal history. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. It's just, yeah. it's the same as people who uh, like collecting coins or people who like to go hunting or people who, you know, just, just go down your list of you know, things that people like to occupy their time doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no reason for us to act ashamed or act like it's a secret. It's like, hey, this is a neat postal po- piece of postal history right here. Mm-hmm. And it tells a story. And I like the story. And you can learn neat things. And nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, completely agree. Well, Rob, thank you so much for, for joining us. And for taking the time out to talk to us, because I, as you said, you, you know, you've been really busy lately. So I uh, can appreciate that, uh, the time that you've spent here with us. And and we'll put a, a link to the blog and everything in yes. the description, because Absolutely. I want as many, again, M- Michael and I look forward to it. We want as many people who, um, you know, maybe don't check the Fedrola board as often as we do um, <laughs> to, to find out about this. So we'll, we'll do our part in spreading the word as well. Yeah, no worries. I, and you know the the basic rule I have for for writing Postal History Sunday is as long as I still enjoy it, mm-hmm. 
I'm going to keep writing them. And if the day comes where the pressure that comes with writing overrides the having fun part, yeah, you know, then I'll probably write 10 more before I quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you know, you don't want to just kind of say, ah, I'm sick of this. Bye. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm still enjoying it. I, I still don't know what I'm writing about for this Sunday. Uh, you have so, uh you have, you have 48 hours to i have 48 <laughs> hours the good news is i have maybe a dozen to 20 or so started you know mm-hmm. there's material started and sitting there but you have to i look at it and i'm kind of like well which one is gonna right catch my interest what's gonna write itself today yeah uh, and i'm kind of hoping once once we take the uh, turkeys to the park. We take them to the park because some people don't like to hear the word processor. Uh, and then we take them to freezer camp after that. Um, once the turkeys are, are quieter, I'll mm-hmm. have a little more time and maybe I can get ahead of the game and write a couple of them. That's usually how it works is I get a chunk of time. I'm interested in writing and I throw two to two to five of them together in a, a chunk of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't had that time lately. So it's kind of been week to week where you just say, which of these is closest and I feel like writing about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that will happen tomorrow is I'll, I'll, I'll go through that and start looking at them and say, all right, got to make a decision because you only have 24 hours now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Michael and I will, we'll, we will both uh, be looking forward to what you're able to put together before uh, this, this coming Sunday and, and yeah. all, and all future Sundays, as long as uh, you've, you've got this project in you, we're going to, we're going to keep reading. Yeah. You bet. I appreciate that. As long as I'm enjoying it and I'm learning something new. Absolutely. Good to go. Well, thank Excellent. you so much. Rob, thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciated getting the chance to talk with you and meet you guys. I, I think, I feel like I actually kind of know you two just because of the conversations, which is both fair and unfair, I guess. <laughs> it's unfair to you guys because you probably have people walking up to you at shows and like, oh, hey, and then you don't know who the heck they are. Well, no, we love that. We, we, we do. Really it's do. weird yeah. when someone recognizes my voice because uh, I, <laughs> I don't think I have a necessarily distinctive voice. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a cool experience. Yeah, yeah. It's great to talk to people all the time. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, you, I, I look forward to your next conversations. I've enjoyed them. Please keep doing them as long as they also interest you. It, go, it goes, it goes both ways. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Same to you. Have a good one. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. I can totally relate uh, to having to come up with new content uh, every, <laughs> every week. And I didn't necessarily realize the parallels until he started talking about it, but yeah. we, uh, you know, he's, he's got a new blog post due day after tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We do that same scramble sometimes, uh, yeah. trying to track people down to talk to. So uh, on that level, I feel uh, very sympathetic uh, towards Rob. <laughs> but but I, I really enjoyed that conversation. I, yeah. I, I think this was a, uh, again, we, we, we've we read him for so long. We've seen mm-hmm. the posts on the Petrola board. We've read yeah. the blog posts that, um, you know, to, to see the other side of the curtain and what goes into each week's installment i thought was really interesting and i yeah. uh, really appreciate rob taking the time to talk to us yeah absolutely i i think it's great that he he dives into the items that he has and it's not um you know we see so many things online people talking about items that are fantastic historical items research about individual things that that have some history to them but it's not necessarily their own items i think it's it's fantastic that he's diving into items that he 
owns and he researches because he genuinely loves the item. Right, he and he's and he's pushing and then, the pushing the envelope. No yeah. pun intended. Um, he's not. It's not just a twenty four cent eighteen sixty one block. Yeah. He's right. It, it's it's World War Two. It's it's turning taxes. Yes, it's yeah. all different. Uh, all different things, and I think that's that's really interesting. So, and the the conversation about accuracy and how that matters on the internet when researching these items specifically because you know people will be tuning into this stuff to learn things they didn't know about before so remaining accurate and remaining true to the material is uh is a really important point because you can just read things on the internet i guess that's true at for philately as it is absolutely anything that might not be entirely accurate or lead you in the correct direction so making sure that the research is done properly and and um everything is factual is uh is just as important as getting the content out there if not more important because if, if you have to wait a week just to make sure that what you're saying is actually accurate it's it's worth it Michael, as always, people can find us Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, YouTube. Um, yep. For those of us who don't know that this is primarily uh, a YouTube-based show as much <laughs> as we love uh, our podcast services. Yeah. Um, podcast.com is our mm-hmm. website. Mm-hmm. podcast at gmail.com is our email, which I love getting notes. You forward them to me sometimes because you yeah. check it more than I do. But I got the nicest note from a gentleman in Australia. Uh, the euphoria and I and he and I have been bouncing notes back and forth and, oh, and that sort of list oh yeah he's that's one of the nicest people I've ever heard from so um that sort of listener mail is um is fantastic and really makes this all not that it's not worthwhile just for us to get to talk to people <laughs> but it does make it more worthwhile and I really mm-hmm. appreciate it and I really love that so um yeah we'll we're gonna do it again real soon I guess absolutely see you then talk to you then man. bye